Hello world and welcome to Aggressive Euphoria, where I employ relentless positivity tactics to find my own luscious and cozy negativity. The main strategy is finding small things that delight me in an effort to dismantle that tower of life's disappointments I often insist on building into a fortress of depression. Every week, a new roll call of fun stuff based on the weird little songs I write. Disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional and this podcast is not meant as treatment or cure. I also know that my brand of occasional depression might not look like your own struggles. This podcast is meant to explore the delighted mindset and reach across time and space to share human experience. Herman Melville suggested we all rub one another's shoulders as we wait for that universal thump that comes to us all. It's like that. And now for today's opening song. Welcome to Aggressive Euphoria. I'm Amy Zollers, a poet and artist, and I am in one of my moods. You just heard S'mores, S'mores. I wrote this song last year for the first day of summer. I wanted to write a song for the first day of summer, and I played it on my dad's Farfisa organ. So my dad played in a college band during the 1960s, like 1966 to 69, he was in college, and he played the Farfisa organ in a band called Din of Iniquity, D-I-N, as in noisy, Din of Iniquity. And so around Father's Day last year, 2021, uh, my dad was living in a nursing home, and one day he just asked me if the Farfisa organ still worked, because he knew that I had it. And I had it. I just hadn't played it in a while, and it's big and heavy. Um, I have discovered the secret of just grabbing it by the handle and then, you know, the side or whatever. But I did set it up, and I tried it out, and it did work. Mostly worked. Every once in a while, it'll do this funny thing where you want to play like an E, and it turns into a G sharp for some reason. And... So that's always fun. So usually if I turn it off and on or throw some switches or unplug it or something, that'll usually straighten it out. But, you know, it's from the 60s. It's a, it's a senior citizen. It has its quirks. But for the most part, it works great. So I did write this song, S'mores, S'mores. And I just kept writing little songs uh, or performing songs that, you know, were already out there from other people. And I would play them on my, on my dad's Farfisa organ and film myself. And then when I would go and visit him, in the nursing home every week, I would show him and he was delighted. So that was something that I could do to kind of help him in a time where he was, he had just, his mobility was not good. His, his mobility was not, he was not doing well getting around. He did die back two days before Halloween and um, that was difficult, but you know, we also kind of knew it was coming because his health had not been good. Um, but that was a pleasure to be able to you know, play his organ for him. And I would post them on Instagram at hypnus underscore and underscore outrage, if you ever want to check that out. Um, But that's where I, um, that's when I wrote 
s'mores, s'mores. And the inspiration for this song comes from this coffee mug that I have. I'm looking at it right now from a company called Bones Coffee. Uh, They don't sponsor me. I just love this mug. It's a hand-thrown mug, which hand-thrown mug... I'm waiting for a pottery wheel to arrive. And, you know, I think we all have that universal thump right now of supply chain issues. This is actually the first one that has affected me because I guess I just don't go after things that a lot of people want. But I did want a pottery wheel for my home because I'm trying to learn at a class. And the wheel is so difficult for me that I wanted to get one (laughs) because I need practice. And I don't know when it's going to get here. It was supposed to get here by the end of May. This is currently June 1st that I am recording. Um, anyway, but let me please tell you about this mug that inspired the song, the song S'mores, S'mores. It's for a brand of, I'm mean, not a brand, a flavor of their coffee at Bones Coffee Company called S'morey Time. I love that. Each of their mugs that they sell has an imprint on it, like a stamp with an illustration, a beautiful illustration. And since they're called Bones Coffee Company, of course, they have like a skeleton mascot. So on this mug... And the little illustration stamp has Bigfoot, the skeleton, and a werewolf around a campfire toasting marshmallows. Now, those are like five of my favorite things, okay? Because you know that they're telling ghost stories because the um, skeleton has a flashlight under his chin and it is glowing on him. And there's a full moon and there's forest. All of this just on this little stamp that they've imprinted on the clay on a hand-thrown coffee mug that is glazed chocolate brown and then they've done a glaze of what looks like just like marshmallow running down it so it's just probably my favorite thing in the whole wide world one of them there's a lot um so yeah I just wanted to write a song for the first day of summer it was just a good sort of way to commemorate the passing of the seasons and or the you know the changing of the seasons and so I wrote that one inspired entirely by that mug and Every chance I get, I go ahead and put it in my Instagram stories. Like, if I find socks at the grocery store that have s'mores on them, that really happened. S'mores on socks. Or if I, like I did a, a, during the winter at Christmas time, we had some chocolate around because we had chocolate Santas and we had other chocolate items. I don't know what we had, but I did this series of winter s'mores where I would use whatever, like, we had like some Christmas, like gingerbread cookies and marshmallow and chocolate Santa or whatever. And then every time I would post it, I would um, play this song, S'more S'more. So it's gotten some serious, serious play on Instagram. It's just that uh, I'm not like a big wheel. <laughs> so that's why it's not nationwide famous yet. All right. So I was happy, like I said, to cheer up my dad with uh, playing his Farfisa organ for him. I love this mug. Let's talk about s'mores. Now, I am just going to go straight to Wikipedia for the origin of s'mores. Uh, Apparently, s'mores showed up in a cookbook in the early 1920s, and they were called, in that cookbook, Graham Cracker Sandwich. And they were already popular then with the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, said the cookbook. So it's almost summer. It's June 1st as I record this. Hopefully June 2nd as I post this. Um, And see, summer's coming. And s'mores. I've just made s'mores cookies twice in a week. First, because like every summer vacation, my nephews who live about 10 minutes away come over and hang out with my boy. And uh, they hang out while my sister and I hang out and 
have coffee and possibly s'mores flavored coffee. That's another thing. I'm not really big on flavored coffee, but I am big on s'mores flavored coffee at certain times of the year. Um, so I just made that for them to come over. I also made the same s'mores cookie recipe for my son who is, uh, for his, has a bus ride to Minnesota, which I'm in Missouri. So it's a few States away for a high adventure trip with the scouts at Boundary Waters. So that's going to be really, really rad for him. Um, but yeah, let me just tell you real quick. I found that s'mores cookie recipe on Pinterest I can link to that, I think. And if I don't, I'll post it on Instagram and we'll get all that straightened out. This is my first one. So I'm going to kind of test the waters as I go and really intend to connect you on um, the things that I talk about. But that cookie recipe incorporated with the flour, graham cracker crumbs, brilliant. Used milk chocolate chips, which I'm usually opposed to because I think there's a lot of sweet going on in cookies and I'm usually for the semi-sweet. But because this is s'mores, it has to be the milk chocolate. I mean, there are a ton of variations now when you read like Martha Stewart and Better Homes and Gardens and Pinterest where, you know, people use bananas and dark chocolate and chili chocolate and all kinds of things. But for the traditional s'mores flavor, then what you're supposed to do, and I forgot to do it this time. I was kind of tired yesterday when I made them. But ideally, a couple of minutes before the recipe is done, you'll take them out of the oven, press in some mini marshmallows, and then let them toast a couple more minutes so that they, you know, really get glued on there, but also get that beautiful sort of golden brown color. This time I just took them out of the oven and kind of forgot to do that. I just stuck them on top, but I've done that enough with cookies to know because I've really, I'm like 47 and I have baked and baked for a long period of time. And so if you, it's better if, if you're going to put marshmallows in cookies, it's better to just stick them on top when they come out of the oven. Otherwise, they can just melt into them and you don't even know they're there. I don't know they're there. So I like to know they're there. That's just me. But both ways are cool. So that's what I've been doing with s'mores cookies. Um, but I will say that during deep, deep hippie times of Whole Foods eating in my life, I have still described s'mores as possibly my favorite food. So I could be in the throes of like the, the chewy green drinks with the spinach and the kale and all the spinach and the kale and the chickpeas and, and uh, just times in my life where I just really, and I always, I'm always striving for this, but not always exceed, always, not always succeeding, forgive me, um, to eat beautifully. Uh, but even when I do, if someone asks my favorite food, I'm probably going to say s'mores. All the variations of s'mores, especially campfire s'mores, the graham cracker, the half of the Hershey bar, the toast the marshmallow, however you can, like if you're grilling or if you have a campfire or if you just, how do we do it when we don't? Oh, I broil them, turn on the broiler, stick them on foil and let them go for two minutes or so and they expand and get, you know, toasty. And then the graham cracker on top. That's the graham cracker sandwich, as they called it in the 1920s. Uh, the campfire s'mores, the golden, have you tried the golden grams ones? They used to have that recipe. I think they still do on the box where you mix the cereal with, I think you mix the chocolate chips with corn syrup and it makes a chocolate sauce kind of thing. Or maybe it's the marshmallows, corn syrup and chocolate chips. You mix it all and then you stir in the um, golden graham cereal, and then you stir in maybe additional marshmallows so that you can see them. They'll be visible. I think that's right, but it has been a while, but they are dreamy, dreamy. And, uh, s'mores cookies, s'mores flavored coffee. Once I made an ice cream pie that was just like vanilla ice cream on a graham cracker crust. And I'm pretty sure on top of the 
ice cream. This was a long time ago when I first started baking and I was given to extremes. So I think I did, I think this is what I did. I think I did a graham cracker shell, like store-bought pie shell. And then I think I put like marshmallow fluff on the base. And then I put like vanilla ice cream on top of that. And then I believe the magic shell. Remember the magic shell? It's like chocolate sauce and you pour it on there and then it just turns into chocolate hard candy I like not hard candy but you know it's it like freezes into chocolate shell and it's so good and that pie I'm telling you I think that probably was a pretty good pie back 20 years ago or whatever so then onward onward with the inspiration of this mug that inspired this song s'mores s'mores on to ghost stories ghost stories cheer me up no end I would love to hear your thoughts about ghost stories and when I say ghost stories in this context I'm talking about the old fictional stories that, um, you know, people would write like Victorian, Edwardian. Uh, Oh, there's a podcast I love. There are two podcasts I love. One of them is called uh, Podcast to the Curious, which if you are familiar with the writer of ghost stories, M.R. James, you might know um, his story, A Warning to the Curious. So it's based on that story, Ghost Stories of M.R. James, whom I read was beloved by none other than Mick Jagger. I think that I was reading Marianne Faithful's biography, which I believe is called Faithful. Anyway, autobiography, where she says that, I mean, I'm just picturing it. I don't remember what she said. I probably read it like seven or eight years ago. But I just remember this image of her lying in bed, you know, with Mick Jagger and you know, they've got like the white sheets on and she's all young and gorgeous and he's all young and gorgeous. And they're, he's reading M.R. James. He loved to read M.R. James. That's the image in my mind. I, I know I read that somewhere, but it also just led to this. It's like a painting. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Just fanning myself with my notes. Anyhow, I do enjoy some, uh, some nice ghost stories, especially older ones because they tend to be more gentle and that's what I require. Full disclosure, I mentioned that uh, I'm a poet. Did I mention that? I don't remember if I read that part. Anyway, poet and artist. And uh, as a poet, I'm often a confessional poet. So there are very, very few secrets. Um, hmm, Do I regret saying that? I don't know. Anyway, onward. I will um, say that I have a respectable collection of ghost stories. Also, I will say that I used to homeschool my son um, for a few years from like elementary through junior high, which I know they don't call it that anymore. Golly, it's hard not to say junior high. Middle school. Maybe in some places they still call it junior high, but I did notice on Bob's Burgers they still call it, at least Bob called it junior high, I think. Could have been my imagination. But I will say this. When I was homeschooling my son, every 13th of the month, we had Ghost Story 13th was what it was called. I believe to my dying day that I was always way more excited than my son was about Ghost Story 13. But he rolled with it. He he got into it. What we would do was, oh my gosh, I have a ghost-shaped cake pan that I got from Nordic Ware. I found it at a place in Westport, Kansas City called Pride's, which is a kitchen store. It's a glorious kitchen store. Glorious. All of the Fiesta Ware, all of the cookie cutters, all of the pie pans and rolling pins. And I, I got I got really the coolest pie servers there and stuff like that, like a plaid plastic one. Oh my gosh. Anyway, the point is that one day I was there. It was, I think, near to Thanksgiving. 
the day after Thanksgiving, my, my husband took us out there, which was really nice of him. And there was this cake pan that just looked like that ghost in the opening credits of Scooby-Doo with the sheet, you know, and the folds in the sheet and that agonized ghost face. Not to be confused with ghost face from Scream, but kind of like that, you know. And so I didn't buy it because it was too expensive, I thought, at the time for me. But then later, I did, like a month later, because I'm all the time I can't get it out of my mind because I was at that time homeschooling. We're doing Ghost Story 13th on the regular. And I'm going, this is going to really up our game if we have ghost cake for breakfast every Ghost Story 13th. Shaped like that. So I was really jazzed about it. And I did find a secondhand like new one (laughs) for much less. I think like $20 instead of almost 50. And so I got it. And, um, and that really did that every month, that beautiful ghost shaped cake of different varieties. Root beer cake did once. I have this great recipe for Anna's Swedish butter cake from that cookbook, the Kirk, the perfect cake. I believe the author is Susan Purdy, P-U-R-D-Y, but Anna's Swedish butter cake, you would not be sorry. Um, anyway, variety of different cakes, but ghost cake was such a highlight of Ghost Story 13th. So, such a dramatic centerpiece. You can make the front and back and, and sort of icing glue them together, but I always ended up, because there are only three of us in our household, um, I always ended up just making the front most of the time, because it was just, it was plenty beautiful, and plenty of plenty of cake especially if we were doing it every month furthermore we would do school using ghost stories this was such a pleasure to me find a ghost story what can you learn from it you can learn um well if it's an old ghost story from victorian or edwardian times you're going to get a lot of vocabulary that um you know is historic you're going to get a lot of vocabulary anyway because it's reading so there are history elements vocabulary um Sometimes there would be a food mention. Here's my favorite story to tell. We read a ghost story once. Uh, forgive me, I cannot remember what it was. But a governess, I believe, had to dash across the moors, always a precarious predicament, uh, you know, after dark in order to get the doctor for the child where she worked. And so she gets there and she's, distressed because I think she's had a scary thing happen to her on her dash across the moors. Uh, A dash across the moors is frequently too much for any heroine in an old ghost story. They might wilt or faint, which, you know, you never, you never, you never can tell, but I've never been across the moors, but I know that I'm not also the bravest person in the bunch, but I'll say this. She gets there and the maid, uh, the doctor's like housemaid, offers her turf buns. Oh, thank goodness. I remembered the name. Um, turf buns. So here we've got this as homeschool, like mother and son. We're all like, what are turf buns? We don't know. We live in the middle of the United States. And so we start to explore that. And it turns out they are like a kind of scone with some dried fruit in them. But let me tell you, the highlight of it was that the uh, alternate name for them was Fat Rascals fat rascals for emphasis because I was so delighted by that I wanted to just tell the world and you know my son is kind of blase and and too cool and I was like I really wish he dug that as much as I did but that's just me always the most peppy little freak in the room that's just how it is 
So we found us a recipe on Blessed Pinterest for fat rascals and we made them. And not only did we do, you know, cookery as part of the school day, we did, oh gosh, there's only three of us and we only have this many dried blueberries. So let's, you know, use fractions to make the recipe a third of what it is or whatever. So that, those were many ways. You map it was something we always did. Get, find the place where the ghost story was written or takes place on the map. So there's geography as well. So there are just really so many ways to use a ghost story for school if you're if you find yourself in that situation. And then also every month we would each trade a ghost story. We would write one for the other one to read, which was a blessing, a blessing. I just love the way my kid writes and very creative sort. Not that into ghost stories, but willing to write one for his schoolwork and um, always a pleasure. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to get my cup of coffee and I'm going to read this thing. And then he would read mine or I would read it to him. So that was a great, great trading of... Um, you know, our writing and uh, art. So a lot of fun. Um, more on ghost stories. So here's just some of my favorite podcasts that involve ghost stories. Monster She Wrote, which is about women writing in the horror genres. Often there's some ghosts in there. Uh, the hosts are Lisa Kroger and Melanie R. Anderson, and they talk about women who write horror, and I enjoy it so much. Classic Ghost Stories with Tony Walker, The Great Library of Dreams and Hypnagoria, two different podcasts from Mr. Jim Moon, and John Briggs's Christmas Ghost Stories. Those are just a few if you want to check out some ghost stories, some gentle Victorian Edwardian-type ghost stories. Um, Monster She Wrote, of course, covers later into um, you know more postmodern times that we're living in now um but it's always good okay upcoming i just want to say i may do in bonus episodes or something like that reading of public domain ghost stories uh, for bonus episodes and the like so if you have one that you would be interested in hearing email it to aggressive euphoria at gmail.com all one word no capitals okie doke and, oh, I plan to have a collection of original ghost stories and poems around the fall of 2022. I can't decide, should it be out for Halloween? Should it be strictly Christmas ghost stories, which is an old tradition? I don't know. I guess if I release it in the fall, it could be whatever it wants. So we'll figure that out. Um, but that is always through, like, Kindle Direct Publishing on Amazon. And um, so check out Amy Zoller's Z-O-E-L-L-E-R-S on Amazon and see what poetry I have up at the moment for your enjoyment, hopefully. Alrighty. Oh, on to what else is on this mug. What else is on the mug? Cryptids, but I'm not going to really go into cryptids right now. It's a fun area, but I want to explore it in a future episode and you'll see why, because it goes with another song I have. Finally, to werewolves. I really am fascinated with the idea of werewolves. And I think more than werewolves, I'm fascinated with a time when people totally believed in werewolves and there's always this possibility in my mind if you get like if you get like um into god and the devil you know as part of literature or people's beliefs or however you want to view it what if the devil worked that way then you know werewolves ghosts you know all the other scary things out there vampires Whereas now, if you believe in God versus the devil, what if he just works in like unbelief? Like, well, 
the way he works now to whisper to people, that's ridiculous. Devil? There's no devil. We're too smart for that. You know, thoughts. Where your thoughts can go and how they can bloom into different ideas. Uh, Charles Montague Summers was a reverend, I think in the early part of the 20th century, who absolutely believed in werewolves. And that to me is fascinating. It's fascinating to think of a time fascinating and horrifying, but less horrifying because I'm so removed from a time when people genuinely feared wolves, genuinely feared werewolves. Some people theorized that werewolves were just like lunatics. Well, I don't know if you're supposed to use that word anymore. I kind of love it because it has to do with the moon, but people with mental illness, you know, or serial killers, um, or you know what, maybe, maybe they, maybe they were out and about. Who knows? I love the mystery of it. I love to make way for the mystery of these things. I'm going to go ahead as poet, read you a couple of werewolf poems I've written lately. And this one called Old Werewolf Books. I don't know if it's, I haven't read it in a while. It may be a, it's a, it's in poetry form and I had it in a poetry document, but maybe it's just a list of like, Hey, check, check into this stuff later, but I will read it now. Old Werewolf Books. Next Mission, a collection of old werewolf books for a werewolf-consumed heroine in a stage play, a werewolf thread in your tapestry, evergreen, brown, and earthy, scented of pine bark. Darling, she's changeable, deplorably so. And incorrect circumstances, alluringly changeable. Old werewolf books, a serious science, centuries of werewolf poetry and symbolism of the damned. Damned as the wolfman, damned as the punk band for whom she drums, damned as the poet herself. Werewolf books, akin to her drinking habits, she doesn't know when to stop. Which would be the character in the play, not me. I know when to stop, and it does help that I have a metaphobia, a metaphobia, the phobia of throwing up, and so I don't drink very much when I drink. I, I do enjoy an occasional drink. That's just my confessional poem right there. And then secondly, one more werewolf poem to round us out by myself. I have written it, Amy Zollers, a while back. Read it at a poetry reading in Plano, Texas. Confusing the populace. But that's okay. That babe and her werewolf, said the cold brunette in the luncheonette, one silver of hair caught in silver barrette, dark draperied shrouded trepidette in the jealous light of the luncheonette. Or rather she groaned in the night she owned and squandered her youth in the half-lit booth. He jazzed up her coffee from his flask of vermouth, made it vivid and dry with banana cream pie. She looked at it like it was wriggling. Are you screaming? Are you screaming, Sister Erzabet, in the luncheonette? Cheery, cheery wind chimes, sing of wicked love crimes. Da, da, da. Egan, Egan, I dig a good scream. What's your name again? Moaned the babe, all cigarette, doom and spite. Ah, cripes, it's autumn and the moon is bright. So if you're familiar with werewolf lore, you'll know. Um, oh, from the Wolfman with... Lon Chaney Jr., the movie, uh, there was a poem that was uh, many a man who's, I can't remember it, but anyway, you can live upright, but you can still become a wolf when the wolf being blooms and the autumn moon is bright. Changed into later wolf werewolf movies to and the moon is full and bright because we're familiar with the folklore that a full moon would change someone into a werewolf. But in the original movie, it was just the uh, cripes, it's autumn, and the moon is bright. 
Um, I wanted to point out that the, you know, there's the little echo of Frere Jaca, um, da, 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 being in this situation, Romanian for yes. I think it's also Russian for yes, but I did live in Romania for a short time. And again, again, Hungarian for yes. So yes, 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 yes. Thank you for indulging me with my poetry. You know, I did think for a time that I would go ahead and, um, compose an entire poetry collection of werewolf poems called The Beatnik Werewolf, based on one of my artworks, A Werewolf at a Typewriter, with a little long scroll of paper coming out of it like Jack Kerouac. I'll include that somewhere, I think. <laughs> Remind me if I don't, at gmail.com. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm not, I'm not always convinced I can go ahead and whip up a whole collection of poetry about werewolves. But you know what? I will say this. April, National Poetry Month. I did hand-stitched chapbooks, and they're like only 20 pages. I might be able to do one of those. I tried to get closer to 60 or 70 pages in a collection of poetry that I go ahead and, you know, do through Kindle. So thoughts, thoughts that just came to me. Um, But if I can summon my delusions of grandeur, werewolf style, maybe I can uh, cook up something, something, some collection of beatnik werewolf poetry. I want to recommend The Werewolf by Clements Hausman, which is still in my iBooks from the time I read it, like uh, 2014, when I worked on the switchboard, the bank switchboard. Switchboard was the best job in this. It was in a call center. You don't often hear of best jobs in a call center, but because it's in a call center and not like in a place where the public comes, I could decorate my cubicle however I wanted. This sparked joy, if you will. Um, I decorated my cubicle with like all these British invasion bands. It was so comfy. And also they had the best colors. It was like the Brady Bunch colors, like green, yellow, and orange and free soda pop for employees in the break room, which I know soda pop is something I try to stay away from now, but it was still a little lift now and then in the afternoon. I did enjoy it. All right. That's when I read The Werewolf by Clemens Hausman. It is a novel. I think it was written in 1897. I'm going to go ahead and read the Wikipedia info on on Clemens Hausman. Clemens Annie Hausman, born 23rd November 1861, died 6th of December 1955. So a good long run. Was an author, illustrator, and activist in the women's suffrage movement. She was the sister of A.E. Hausman. Oh, my goodness. I didn't read that ahead. He was a very important poem. I'm sorry. Forgive. An important poet in my college days um, to me and my roommate. We just really liked him. And I'm going to talk about that another time because right now I'm talking about Clements Annie Hausman, who wrote the novel The Werewolf, which riveting. I enjoyed it so much. I read it like in spare time on the switchboard in between calls. And it was or, you know, during slow afternoons. It was, it's, I have a fond memory of that. And uh, her novels include The Werewolf, Unknown Sea, and The Life of Sir Aglovale de Gallus. She was also a leading figure in the suffragette movement. And um, that is some stuff on Clemens Hausman. And I'm going to reread that werewolf book because it was really, it was exciting. Another one I found in my iBooks that I hadn't read was... The Book of Werewolves being an account of a terrible superstition. And the author is, oh, I wrote out the pronunciation too, Sabine Baring Gould. This work, this is from the Amazon description. This work 
is one of the finest ever penned on the subject of lycanthropy and werewolf lore, written in the mid-1800s by the rather eccentric Sabine Baring Gould. It covers more than 1,000 years of lore from a half-dozen paths, the berserker of Norse lore, French mythology, and then-modern anecdotes of cannibalism and madness, not relegating the werewolf just to a secular and skeptical study, not simply to spiritual banter. Baring Gould manages to compress an enormous span of historical material into his work, a work which is no doubt of value to the academic and those involved with the occult at the same time. Ooh, I gotta get in there. I want a paperback of it. I really like to have an actual book book of things. So... And, you know, now as I sit here and think of it, I may have put that on my Christmas list last year. And so I may have gotten it from my in-laws. If I send an Amazon list to my mother-in-law, she'll buy, like, most of it. Like, unless I've gone overboard, she'll buy everything on it. So she's nice. I try not to get too carried away. I try to keep it to just, like, four or five things. But I think I might have that. I should look for it. Oh, my gosh. What am I doing? I have too many books. And that's that's why. That, that sounded crazy. But it's true. Well... I want to thank you for joining me for this first episode of Aggressive Euphoria. I hope that maybe it brought you some fun. I don't know if it was all that euphoric with talking about werewolves, but to me that's fun. Maybe if this was not your cup of tea, maybe it could spur you to think about when times when... Here's what I tend to do. I think I said this in the intro. I tend to... Um, negatively kind of collect disappointments and life just, I'm disappointed that my pottery wheel isn't coming. I'm disappointed about like, um, you know, if I want to go out and get a job and I'm 47 and I'm like, oh man, I think it'd be so cool to be an art teacher now that I do a lot more art. Well, I didn't think of that in my 20s. And so now I'd have to go back to school for three years to accomplish that, which, I mean, then you have to think, do I really want to, um, have that to pay back you know like in this however much life I have left no so that's frustrating so anyway then at that point what you do is you become creative and you find a workaround but what I tend to do is um, at times if a lot of little disappointments or even big disappointments come at once I tend to sort of collect them and build them into this tower it's like it's like collecting evidence for god or something look what is happening to me and you know then when i do that then the ones from way back in life might come through as well and then i'm the next thing i know i'm like depressed so i seek things i don't always do this i just kind of came up with this idea last week i was like okay that's my podcast for the summer i think it'll be a summer project to just be relentlessly delighted by whatever I can find that delights me. A lot of things delight me. So this should be a pretty varied, um, you know, journey for us to take. But this was really fun. If you didn't enjoy it this time, try the next one. <laughs> because, because there will be other things based on those weird little songs I write. Um, also, if you have any positivity secrets that you would like to share I would be delighted to read them mention your name or not mention your name if you don't want me to just specify as you email to aggressive euphoria at gmail.com spelled exactly like it is on the cover art and just all one word run together aggressive euphoria at gmail.com and uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. So thank you for joining me. Please reach out if you like. I do have an Instagram. 
aggressive euphoria. I don't remember if it has an underscore. I'll let you know. But I can always be found at Hypnos and Outrage, which is my art account, art, music, and poetry, Hypnos underscore and underscore outrage at Instagram. And Hypnos and Outrage, all one word on YouTube when I put my little songs up there. Furthermore, uh, with my poet friend, Angela Eureka Smith, I co-host two monthly poetry shows, one on, well, the same one, Cake and Hyperbole is the title, is the title of that show, first Saturday of the month, usually. But of course, this month, June 2022, it's going to be on June 11th, which is the second Saturday because of scheduling conflicts. All Angela's, not mine. I'm <laughs> I'm just not a big wheel at the Cracker Factory, which I kind of like it that way. Um, anyway, June 11th on YouTube, uh, I believe Twitch, Facebook. So just search Cake and Hyperbole. And then on the third Sunday of every month on Instagram at Hypnos and Outrage and at Angela Rico Smith uh, is Third Sunday Poetry. And that will be the third Sunday of this month, whatever that is. I don't know. I guess it's the 11th and then it's the 12th and then add 7 to the 19th of June. So my math just came in real handy there. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. And I will let you get back to your lives and have a good one. And use that delighted mindset. Goodbye. Musta, musta, the Encyclopedia Neurotica. It's my rule in the plan. I must, and I must, and I must.